0: Welcome to A Nightmare on Fierce Street.
1: A monstrous podcast about all things horror.
0: If you like what you hear today, then you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can also rate and review us on Apple iTunes.
1: Today, we're talking about Scream 2. Uh, this is a part of our November month-long celebration of Wes Craven, because we're all so thankful for him mm. and this franchise.
0: Mm. So for Scream 2, we're going to be talking to Jerry Diony! jerry tell everybody why you like horror what what are your kind of favorite genres and movies give us all Uh the stuff
2: so I, I came to religion late in life, uh, because I was in a household that I couldn't see R-rated movies till I was seventeen. So I like started off horror with stuff like Psycho because I could I could watch those <laughs> those because it's from the sixties when we didn't put ratings on stuff. Um, but no, like I've always been a fan of slasher movies. I find those. Scarier for me because it's a person, and it's like you could walk out the door and you know run into Mrs. Debbie Salt and her crazy eyes, and I I find that more terrifying than a monster because even and because they're also fallible, and I think that makes it much more tense, you know, you're not dealing with some invincible being where you're watching the movie and being like, God, I hope they bathe in the waters of Dralgoon so they can make this monster go away sort of thing. So like the Scream series, love the original Friday the 13th, the original Halloween, like stuff where it is real people chasing your ass is has always been my favorite.
0: You and Trent have a lot in common. (laughs) (laughs) We, we should have discussed that before we got on here. Um, um,
1: <laughs>
0: will you also tell our lovely listeners where to find you on social media that you want them to follow you on?
2: Of <laughs> course. Um, I am on Twitter. That's my, that's where I live at Jerry Downey, 913, posting about musical theater and best supporting actresses. So if you have any interest in a, a gay man's ravings about best supporting actress, come, come say hi to me on Twitter. <laughs>
1: Awesome.
0: Those are the only rate. All right.
1: Okay, well, let's get down into this movie. Do we have any general thoughts on Scream 2 before we get into our specific points that we want to discuss? Any kind of general co- concept ideas? I don't know.
0: Picked up this time that it does what the first one does, in which it gives us the movie, but we're so engaged that we don't understand. They're handing us the plot. They're like, here's who did it. Here's what you should be thinking about. And we're all like, oh, what is this college? Oh, college ID. Oh, it's can I have a boyfriend again? Right. And they're like, we've already told you and we've moved on. And some of that is also a
1: red herring because you think, oh, she's got a boyfriend again. And they kind of use that against Derek's character to be like, is he the killer? Do you, is it really history repeating itself? But spoiler alert, it's not.
0: <laughs> That's just it because I, most of us never suspected him because we just did that. And while we were looking at everybody else, they kept talking about Billy Loomis. And so that means Billy Loomis is involved, but Billy Loomis is dead. And so like, we have Debbie Salt with the raccoon eyes and we're like, (laughs) I don't understand. Who could it be? Who could it be? And they're literally like, Billy Loomis, history. Billy Loomis, history. And we're like, I can't understand. (laughs) And so watching it this time, I was like, I was real dumb. (laughs) I was like, kid, because... Like the first one, they hand you the movie and then they let you figure it out even though they've already told you everything you need to know.
2: Literally, that that I because I watched the first one to prepare for watching this one, and it hit me really hard how there are scenes in both movies not so much in three and four, but these two where you have the killers on screen being like, I'm here to tell you how I did it, not gonna tell you it's me, but I am gonna tell you why I'm doing it.
0: (laughs) When Debbie has the meltdown, and she's like, it stands as somebody from Greensboro or Woodsboro, doesn't it? And it's like, Debbie, you seem passionate about it beating someone from there and you have no real backstory we
2: and every time tell someone is mean to you your eyes go real cray (laughs) your happy face turns into i will shank you and
1: i will shank you immediately they always go ahead Really, she has a lot of issues with Gail because she is <laughs> on Gail's ass from the get-go. Yes. And then also, but I do think it was really smart that they never had a scene where Sydney sees Debbie. Absolutely. So Sydney would have been like, there you are. Yeah.
0: Like literally we only ever see her interact with like Gail and Cotton. And nobody from actual, their history, nobody. She doesn't have a scene with Randy. She doesn't have a scene with Dewey. Um, nobody who could clock her. And like the first couple times you watch it, you don't catch on to that, even though you see her in the background lurking, waiting for a moment to step forward when it's just Gail. Um, and it's just like, hmm. But I just yeah. love that the makeup department was like, we're just going to give Laurie Metcalf a lot of eyeliner and see what happens.
1: Don't <laughs> so fuck with that and <laughs> see what happens. Well, maybe Lori came up to them and said, hey guys, so my, one of my big character traits, is I'm going to have crazy fucking eyes. And they were like, okay, we're going to highlight that.
0: <laughs> right? No. Hey, don't spend
2: too much on my wig. It's about my eyes. Yes. About my eyes.
0: No, I need three pencils every scene on my eyes. <laughs> three at all times. Because, like, they are out there. They are, they are their own characters. Um <laughs>
1: The, those and Courtney cox's uh, red streets my
0: Which favorite thought- gale
2: hair it's my favorite gale hair of the series
0: it's not three with the bangs
2: i mean <laughs> we we all love the bangs they have a special place in our heart but we love them for a different reason than that they're good <laughs>
0: They were the most insulting bangs I've ever seen, and I watched all the 90s horror TV, and I was like, this is personal. I don't know who you pissed off, Courtney, but this was personal.
2: Money they spent on Lori's eyes. They couldn't spend it on her hair.
0: (laughs) Choices.
2: Well, should we get down into it? Let's do it. So watching this again, especially after like tail ending it with the first one, I was really interested by the opening scene because I do feel like the opening scene of Scream 1 is the most terrifying point of that film. And then you have this one that's out in public and very, shouldn't be scary, but you know something bad is going to happen. And then you have sweet Jada Pinkett without the Smith and Omar Epps walk up And you're just like, oh, they're the ones that are gonna die. But it hit me that I don't even think there are any BIPOC extras in the first screen. Like, Woodsboro is white bread across the board. And then I started thinking that this felt like that time where sort of the trope of black people are always going to be the first to die in movies became a thing, because it's always been there, but nobody was commenting on it. And then late 90s, early aughts hit, and it was a thing. Like, it it was something we knew going into it that if a, a black person is in the victim pod they will be the first to go. And so it felt like this was an homage to or you know paying attention to that trope sort of coming into the Zeitgeist but I I couldn't think of an earlier example where that was true that they would have picked up on it from either.
0: I feel like this is definitely the perfect example of lampshading because it's not gaslighting and where they tell you this isn't a problem it's not happening. It's a lampshade where they're like black people always die first and but we're going to it anyways and it's like how about you not how about you not because you cast four black people three of whom die and the fourth Uh one is a cameraman who had to save himself but then came back at the end and so it's like how about we stop killing so many black people if we're just gonna invite them over to kill them maybe we shouldn't invite them over
2: That would be lovely.
0: Yeah. Just leave us out of it then.
2: (laughs) Especially because Jada doesn't want to be there anyway. She deserves not only a better better life, but a better boyfriend. She deserves so many better things in this movie. I
0: I didn't understand why they were together. They did not seem to like each other. I was like... (laughs) he's the worst like he's literally but also let's get into these deaths real quick because again they give you the movie at the top in the stall next door before he's stabbed in the ear it's all like mommy no i'm sorry mommy stop and i'm like that's weird to talk about a mommy in a bathroom unless it's gonna be billy's mommy (laughs) and also like jada dying in public let's that whole commentary because we've seen this so many times where women are like help me help me and society's like, I can't see this. I'm not involved. Which again is why we're taught to yell fire as opposed to assault or whatever is actually happening, because people care about fire. <laughs> and so you have her like bleeding out, and you have these people like losing their shit because stab is happening. And like she's like, I'm I'm dying. Can somebody, anybody? And they're like, Ah, oh, this is fun. Ah, oh, it's a stab movie. Heather Graham's getting naked. That is terrifying to die in such a public place and space, because it's such a possibility for anybody, everybody, all day, especially in America.
1: What I- Absolutely. <laughs> I think it was also specifically her death felt to me like a a comment on Hollywood and the way that they PR things. Cause like the studio sent all these masks and not and fake knives to this opening. I think I've heard, I think I read somewhere that uh, Wes wanted it to seem like the audience just thought it was another publicity stunt that it was just going to be, you know, it's all fake. So that's, yeah, it's terrifying though, to think about like, you need help, but no one will believe you.
2: Especially that long shot they have of her because when she. She falls dead. That camera lingers on her for an uncomfortable amount of time. It is terrifying.
1: Uh-huh. Her death, specifically, more so than his, was terrifying. I
2: I have questions about him because it's hard to hear what's happening in that stall. But his face looks like someone put on softcore in the next stall, and I'm just like, this isn't <laughs> hot like you with your horror movie foreplay mind ness happening. What is wrong with you? And then like leaning up closer to. The stall. I'm just like I. Your your choices may may have led you to this. <laughs> Jada oh. is innocent at in all of this. You you have made choices that have led here. Who
0: puts their ear to the door of a public stall? Thank <laughs> You. Who I. When I see these horror movies that people are like, let me take my drink to this public bathroom. And it's like, no, your drink is sacred. You protect it. You finish it and then go to the bathroom. Yeah, this isn't Friday night
1: at Berlin. Calm down. <laughs> right?
0: This isn't a cabaret. Why? Like, <laughs> get your shit together.
1: What was, what was he going to do if it was like people having sex in the That Is he going to listen? Like, right. No. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Had he just shaken it off and turned around, he might still be alive today. But <laughs> instead he had to put his ear to the wall and be like, what's going on in there? Who's mommy? And (laughs) I was like, it ain't your mommy, so you don't need to be worried about it.
1: Haley's death. I I love I I love the character. I was so upset when she died.
0: Her character also didn't make the most sense because I never got why she fell into the sorority trap because like Sydney's group does not seem to be that group even though she's dating Derek, which is also a bold move for Sydney. I think she overcorrected. I think she was like, When I date dark and twisty people, they stab me. So I'm going to just date, (laughs) I'm going to date Joe Blow Basic, Mr. Apple Pie and see where it goes. But like for her roommate slash best living friend in this group (laughs) to be somebody so completely different who's dragging her to these mixers that she hates, I I didn't understand, I did not understand that at all.
2: I I guess coming from Texas where freshman year, you're potlucked pretty hard with a roommate, I kind of assumed that's why they wound up in the same room was not by chance choice but it just so happened that they Formed a friendship because Sydney Prescott is nice to everyone until they start chasing her with a knife. Um, <laughs> but my thing with, with Hallie is she was the one dragging Sydney all the way here. But when you're introduced to Portia De Rossi and Rebecca Gayhart, Portia De Rossi is just like, Hi, Sydney. Hello, black friend I don't know the name of. Yes. And it takes Rebecca Gayhart looking real awkward to be like, Hey, Hallie, are you coming to the party too? I'm just like, Thank you, Rebecca Gayhart. We like you. We appreciate it.
0: <laughs> it was very much that. It was like, we want to be next to the scream queen and her Black friend to come along. And she was letting them do that to her, which I I get. Freshmen don't have self-esteem and they make bad choices, but also she seems to be functioning on a higher level for other parts. Mm -hmm. Like she's clearly willing to put her life on the line for her friend, Sydney. (laughs) And so I'm like, if you can make that if you, you make those choices, why can't you make the choice to not be the token Black friend who's lumped in with the friend they want?
1: Yeah. I do I do love the way that she is trying to like help Sydney throughout the whole film, trying to get her over her trauma. Cause like, so I have notes about this later, but there are so many people in this film that are kind of exploiting Sydney's trauma, including the killers, of course, but like other people that aren't even the killers. But she's the one that's like, okay, let, let's try and like do something fun. Let's get out of here. Let's go to this party. Let's try to be social. But she's also there when Sydney just doesn't want to do that, and that her, her death, <laughs> right, and her death scene is again next to Jada Pinkett, one of the tense yes, parts of the movie yes. when they're having to like crawl over the over Ghostface. <gasps> i was like i was already like she's gonna die and then she got out and then i'm like maybe she'll live and then she does unfortunately. and that is the one
2: time when sydney prescott is just full-blown dumb in all four movies that is one of the only times where she's just like i'm going against every instinct i've ever had i have to see his face i'm gonna run back so you can get killed so bad
0: my issue with this whole thing is ghostface clearly has a knife and possibly a gun. So why don't we kill Ghostface right here, right now while we're climbing over them, as opposed to running and then coming back anyways. You're gonna kill them anyway, Sydney. That's just your routine. Do it now, do it now, be one murderer down. Um, and yeah. I, but it's definitely one of the moments in this franchise where I'm just like, this makes no sense. This was forced. This was written by somebody who wanted this to happen as opposed to somebody who was like, my character would or would not do this that I've created. Well,
1: I, I do kind of get Sydney's choice of wanting to go back to see who it was. No, because like if she didn't her whole life, she would be like, I, I don't know who that was. I don't know who killed my friends and all this stuff. But what I don't understand is, A, like Trey said, why didn't you kill him and then, lift, you know, kill him, lift the mask up. Oh, it's Debbie Salt. Surprise. Actually, that would have probably been what's-his-face. You know, and then she would have known then. Or when you go back, take Hallie with you. Take your friend with, don't separate.
0: When Hallie stayed, I was like, she's dead. And it was because she was black and she stayed. Those are two no-nos. And so I was like, I knew it was coming, but for whatever reason, that's how we set this up. And that's why her death feels like a waste. It is kind of a funny death. Because she's like, what? And then she's just like, stabbed, And I'm like, this is not the effect you want, I would hope. But also it's what we got, because you did not get on this correctly. Right. Well, and
1: it it is interesting that she dies in the same part of the movie that Tatum died in the first movie she is That's the cool. last like non-ending death well yeah,
2: he's the formula she Hallie is the most formula death in this movie because your your best friend is going to die just like Trent said with Tatum like mm-hmm. you, you kind of expected Hallie to die if she had survived that would have been wonderful but as the best friend knowing that Sidney Gale Dewey are safe you kind of expect that she's going to die at some point I just wish she had gone out in a better way yeah
0: also got us off the name game because they were killing people like Maureen and Steven and Casey and then it's just Hallie because she was there (laughs) and so it's like either you're trying to uphold what you started or you're not you can't have it both ways. You can't be like, well, we have a plan, but also I'm going to improvise real quick because she Black and she stayed. I I don't understand. I don't understand. Justice for I, Allie. <laughs> yeah,
1: yes, agreed. Uh, but I do think, and I have another note about this later too, but like, I think that that is one of the moments that really, because she didn't see, Cindy didn't see Tatum's death. Tatum's death happens without, she just sees her dead body later on. But I, I think ha- watching Allie get stabbed was one of the moments in this film that switch Sydney for like we are talking about in the last one where she's just a survivor to switch her to being a fighter. So I think I think that's probably one of those moments for Sydney. I wish it would have been done in a different way or like had Halle go with her and then the Ghost Face still can kill her, but at least she's like can fight back some. You know, there's something there to help. I
0: feel like she became a fighter towards the end of the first movie and even at the beginning of this one, she is in a stronger. Place and so like I I'm gonna disagree with that one because she's like got the caller ID she knows the penal codes she's like giving it to these assholes when I call her at five in the morning and I'm like this is a Sydney I can follow but again she falls into these traps of making dumb choices because that's what they needed to happen for the plot like this choice <laughs> um, and it's just like Sydney I know you've done this movie before why would you why would you do this again why would you and she's like because I was written that way And it's like okay. <laughs>
1: But yes, I agree. Justice for Halley, for sure. I thought it was a really interesting choice to add to the meta ness of this of this franchise to have this film in the back in the in the shadow of the opening of a film about the first film. So, movie inside of a movie inside of a movie inside of a movie <laughs> inside of a book inside of a you know. <laughs> Because <laughs> isn't that the American way? And they weave it in really nicely with like little clips from the movie. that they'll be watching Entertainment Tonight and they'll be interviewing, oh God, who was voice Tori Spelling. Tori Spelling. Play
0: <laughs> name check in the first one.
1: In the interview, right. In the interview, she gives away the end of the movie <laughs> to the fucking audience. She's like, yeah, I'm in a movie where my boyfriend's trying to kill me and I'm like,
0: Oh! <laughs> That's how Tori Spelling. Like, <laughs> that's just.
1: You ain't gonna be the sequel because you, you spoil things.
0: No, no, I love Luke Wilson playing Billy with like the right. hair. He
1: Please keeps shaking me. the hair. <laughs> Please tell me that I haven't know about that. Please tell me that Skeet was more convincing than Luke Wilson, or was I just that blind? But like, but was like. <laughs>
0: I I love this bad meta movie and I would watch it, but also I think that it is a commentary on just like America again worshiping these serial killers. Like it's a reason we have people who are like, let's cast David Tennant as a serial killer so the girls will go crazy. And it's like, no. How about we not make Ted Bundy and them hot? How about we not do that? How about we talk about the psychology of serial killers, <laughs> and the problems of it, without trying to make it cute and cool? But I would watch it because I'm. American asshole. So
1: yeah, I was torn. Well, Sheree, I have some good news for you. Mm -hmm. Somebody in all of their glory have made Stat the Stab movies and continued that whole franchise. There's like nine of them. And I believe they're on YouTube.
0: I'm not not gonna say we gotta talk about that for a special series. But I think we have to talk about that for a special series. I'm changing our production meeting agenda right now. Hold, please.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and I also love the part in the, when they're talking about, it's right after the opening scene. So they all know that Jada Pinkett's character and Omar Epps' character is dead. Um, And they're talking about someone making a sequel to Stab. And they have a whole conversation about sequels and they're in a sequel that I think, and they're like, name a sequel that's better than the original. And like, I could see an argument where someone could say this movie was better than the first one i don't agree with that but i i mean it's it's at least just as good it is at least just as good in my opinion
2: i i have feelings about that like sort of taking four out of the equation i think it depends on what you look for in your horror movies because I personally think one is the best because it blends. It is a comedy masking itself as a horror slasher movie and it just has that balance perfectly. Two goes much more down the horror path in a really great way and three is just like camp, the highest. So depending on what you're looking for, I think there's a valid argument for all three, but I I, I still put one just slightly above. Right,
1: and, and so do and, I. I'm just saying if someone was trying to argue with me, I would be like, I see your point, <laughs> but I just I, don't.
0: I would argue oh, your back. I would argue back. My hot take, which I guess I'll get into now, is that while I like this sequel, it's not as good as the first or the fourth, and it's just the first one specifically was just art. You know, like we talked about how the music like commented on it and it was in on the joke and very of what craven Whereas this one picked music that was of the '90s, yes, but didn't comment on anything or have anything, and so like little details like that that made it that elevated it are missing from this one. So we have two hours of something that I enjoy, I like, but I don't love. Whereas like the first one, I love. Like seeing that I because I talked about it a little bit in last week's episode, we're seeing like the Weinstein name over this ruins it for me. And the first one giving that up hurts me. But if you say I give up two and three, I'd be like, okay. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I want to talk to that person some more if they were like, this is better than the first one and ask them to love themselves a little bit more.
2: I I will say that I do think too... Has two of the most high tension moments in the entire series that none of the other movies have matched. Because, like Trent said, them climbing over Ghostface in the cab and then Gale being chased in the recording studio are so fucking scary. And not- there are no other scenes in the series where I am just white knuckling it like those two. That's
0: while we're in the cop car, I do want to mention because it's another thing I keep tracking in horror movies: cars and the dimensions of cars and horror movies are ridiculous and magical because we've all in a car we we know that little area between the seats you can't put your whole kneecap through there and crawl through it like that sydney um <laughs> you can't you can't do that I don't how tiny you are there's toddlers who can't do that so net Campbell <laughs> and all of her like five eight five nine this was not gonna roll through that window that way and i would
2: still be in that car i would still be in that taxi just waiting
0: i've been stabbed because i've gotten stuck what <laughs>
1: I mean, you're in the, you're in a city. Somebody's going to come. Somebody's going to be there.
0: You would think.
1: Those can't get to me, so we good. <laughs> I could sit here for a while. <laughs> I got my bestie with me. I could sit here for a while.
0: <laughs> and she's going to die first anyway, so I'll still have time if it does happen. <laughs> So we have, like, a 90s game of who's who in this fucking movie. You got Sarah Michelle Gellar, Josh Jackson, Timothy Oliphant, and, like, so many other actors who just, like, pop in for random bullshit. Like, that scene in the film class where my Pacey was talking to my Buffy, (laughs) I... I need my body every time, especially because like Sarah Michelle, of course, is our CeCe Cooper who dies the typical way a blonde does in a horror movie. And so that's kind of also a funny commentary because she plays Buffy, who was born out of this trope of the blonde girls who can't play back <laughs> so, I just, I, I don't mean to laugh, but I do laugh because it's just, <laughs> it, it's ironic. You have so many 90s people just here and breathing and you also have them making so many like friends Jokes because Courtney Cox is here and she's kind of the star of this one because we don't have to Drew more. and so it's just like it was my head between for Anderson's body. Well, David Schwimmer gonna play you Dewey and it's just like you're gonna go through your whole cast real quick, Courtney. Um, <laughs> so like, it's it's a it's a '90s time capsule. For that, I will let it be in the top tier of something if we're gonna talk about '90s time capsules. I let it go there as opposed to top tier of the scream franchise.
1: Sure. I agree. I think there's some great.
2: Is. Really mm. Timothy Oliphant is so hot in this movie. I I had forgotten how smoking hot he is in this movie until that film class scene. Just like late '90s Timothy Oliphant, Bonjour,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not, right? it's why the movie worked because I was like I'll watch him stab who he wants to stab and also him as his so Jerry O'Connell was supposed to be the heartthrob because that's who Jerry is but like he he was I feel like he was miscast in this movie because his lines are just like thrown to the ground Um, whenever (laughs) he has them and his character also makes no sense I I just what is this and so having his sidekick be the hotter option who sort of helps him out even though he's going to turn around and kill him like the Cafeteria scene is dumb as fuck, and Jerry has no rhythm. But Timothy's like, I'm gonna sell it. I was, oh, I was trying
1: to clap along with him at the beginning, and I was like, wait, uh, no, okay, no. <laughs> you're not, on, you're not on time
0: right now. Right? No. Jerry was just like, uh, I never heard this song before, but I'm gonna do it because I'm on a table today. That's what the call sheet said, and he went for it. And Timothy's like, I don't know where he's at, but I got him. <laughs> Come on,
2: everybody. My focus went to Rebecca Gayhart, who was the only one watching it and cringing. I was just like, You're all of us. Thank you for being there, Rebecca Gayhart. Right?
0: Who, while we're, I we'll keep throwing her out there. I need, to, uh, I need to acknowledge that her and Josh Jackson go on to do Urban Legends, like mm-hmm. maybe four months after this. <laughs> so, like these horror yeah. like duos and trios were just traveling around, roaming the streets for new horror movies to be in together because of the nineties.
1: I miss the those times. <laughs> I love Portia de Rossi and Gay, Rebecca Gayhart's characters because they're just so stereotypical college sorority girls and they make me laugh every time specifically there's something up at omega beta zeta
0: <laughs> i thought they'd be dead. i, I took one look at them i was like cannon fodder <laughs> and then of the course <laughs> they
1: lived i wish they had died instead of cc but you know you get what you get <laughs> hello <Sydney. laughs> Oh, and we get, we do, with CeCe's death, we do get an addition of a new tech, because, like, this whole movie, too, was like, look at this new technology we have. We now have caller ID. We now have security systems. <laughs> it's the 90s.
0: Right? I love that, like, CeCe's character also makes no fucking sense because men are writing women, and that always happens. Um, she literally switches over to this person she doesn't know. Here's a random distorted voice, and it's like, it must be the boy who always abuses me. So. I may get rid of my friend and get back to him immediately. She's like, it's gotta be Ted. I know it's Ted. I gotta let you go. And she's like, hi, Ted. Are you drinking again? And he's like, who the fuck is Ted? I'm trying to kill you. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, who, who are these damaged women? And why do horror writers think that's all we are? Like, <laughs> and why did
2: she just leave that door standing wide open? Not even ajar, so he has to push through. She just said, come the fuck in. I'm ready.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> also, why didn't she leave with the sister who magically appeared? Or why didn't she leave of her own accord? She literally locked herself in the house with the murderer until as old as time.
2: Um to set the alarm.
0: I was like, it's too late. You heard someone upstairs. Your sister was in the living room, so still something is happening. So, will locking the door and putting on the alarm stop whatever's about to happen to you or should you leave the premises? Right. But
1: wait, who was upstairs? Because he, the killer, Ghostface, is outside. So one it's of them. like the phone is upstairs, like rummaging to the shit.
0: I mean, Lori does what Lori wants to do. You've seen her eyes. Who's going to stop her?
1: Yeah, I feel like in this one... Lori was definitely the uh, the phone caller in most of these situations.
0: Aside from possibly Randy, who I do think she did stab a lot. Um, <laughs> I think that she just let him do all the work. She got on psycho.net and was like, take it, Timothy, and record yourself, slowly. Um, <laughs> And you know what? Give her, her hobbies. Oh,
2: my my sweet fucking Randy. Oh. My, the only reason why I would accept a, a Scream remake in the here and now is I truly believe Randy would be the, the gay BFF of the group and I wish that that was a thing (laughs) <laughs> in, in the night. I said
1: that last week. I said that I wanted Randy to be gay because I would care about his character more because his whole, like, I love Sydney is just, I don't care.
2: Yeah. But no, that death kills me because it's the only sort of hangover from the first movie. And you sort of expect him to be safe. Like, I remember when I first watched it, I, because he survives the gunshot in Scream One. So even though you see, you know, masked Debbie Salt just going to town on on him in that side mirror you still expect them to open the door and him be hanging on by a thread and he's not and i hate it
0: I feel like this death bothers me just because of how senseless it was. And I know that's weird to say in a slasher film, but literally you have the three of them who just survived this shit together and they separate and they don't think to look around for him for how many minutes? And he's wandering around by himself knowing he's not a fighter looking for Ghostface. And I'm just like, this this seems awfully convenient and I don't get these motivations. And I do
2: right. I do love that they sort of cover their tracks on that front because this is right after they've deduced that the first three are copycat killers because of the first names. So I think he's feeling pretty secure in that fact and the fact that it's broad daylight and he's, which unfortunately is his undoing because he's just walking around being like, you're a bitch. You have no creativity. You're just going around trying to find people with the same names and cutting them up like you can't do anything and then starts talking about Billy and as Crazy Lori says later, she just like, and he said bad things about my son. I got a little nice happy. I was like, oh, <laughs> <sighs>
0: Which is another sign it has to do something with Billy Loomis because literally he's like that pansy ass mama's boy, then he's dead. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. That's not like a conversation,
0: no- right?
2: That's what always gets me. That door just lies open. It no rules. Rules right. are off the table with this one.
0: Right? And
1: no. It, did anyone else notice that he calls him homo repressed? I mean mm-hmm. we
2: all saw the first movie. Thank we you. We all agree on this fact.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
2: Uh, The things that happened with that corn syrup between him and Stu, we can only imagine. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I do want to mention because interestingly in before this movie opened when they were like testing uh, testing it with audiences Dewey and Randy were supposed to die Dewey was not supposed to make it
0: clearly because audience- the way he lives in this one is fake it's fucked like literally
1: uh, and audiences hated it they were so pissed off so they had to make it to where Dewey lives and Randy is still dead I wanted two of the original four to be
0: dead would have rather they stuck with that and just upset audiences because right now do we have like a resurrection, which don't make any sense because he was agreed. stabbed so many times. Gail watched and he laid there overnight bleeding out. So like when they roll him out the next morning, why is he still alive? Yeah.
1: And typically, <laughs> if you're bleeding from your mouth from being stabbed, you' in trouble. Did
0: <laughs> not look good. Did not look good. Like I feel like if he survived, then Jada's character at the top could have survived. Good point. Um,
1: <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just think.
1: But yeah, Randy's death and and yeah, rewatching it, it is the most like obviously okay. This has to be connected to Billy moment because yeah, he dies right after because at first he's he's attacking the killer. This time and like that's okay, whatever, attack me all you want. But then he switches to why are you mimicking Billy uh Loomis, who was all these names and all this stuff, and then yeah,
2: he
0: is dead. I
2: I truly think it is the most shocking death aside from Casey's in the first one. For me at least.
0: Because we we do get comfortable with these characters, even though it's a slasher franchise, so we have to start killing them all. And so to see it happen so early in the movie, because it's like the first hour. And you're like, you got another hour and change to go. Who else is in danger?
2: Randy, Randy is like, us. He, he's the one sitting there guiding us and giving us the, the rules of horror movies. And suddenly it's just like our best friend essentially has just been gutted. And it, oh, ugh, just making out. I
0: God. would have rather Dewey
2: <laughs> Which I'm firmly in that camp with you.
0: Yeah, which leads me to my next note. <laughs> David and Courtney are still really cute in this one. What David does with his limp is not. That should have been stopped. Who made that call? Who let him do that? Can we just unpack this for a second? I.
1: I well, I also love that Randy calls him out. He's like, You got stabbed in the back. Why are you limping? He's just a severed nerve. So I, I- feel that somebody added into it to be like, David's made this choice. We have to make it make sense. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hated it because you can't not laugh because David Arquette is David Arquette and he, he thinks he's doing the serious things not. but also then you're that asshole laughing at this person who is supposed to have this limp but clearly doesn't and doesn't understand how that would work as he tries to run up and down stairs and I'm just, I, I I wanted it to stop I wanted it to stop <laughs>
1: He was he was going for the gold bro. He was, he was going for
0: the- He's like, I will stand out. <laughs> and it's like, don't do that. Don't do that, David. Just we can get you a hat or something. He's like, no. <laughs>
1: but i do i do love because especially with our talk from last week about how um wes was nervous about taking this the the first film because he didn't want to r- repeat like just torturing women over and over and over again mm-hmm. and in this in this series we the the men become the punching bag for because like dewey gets fucked up in every single one of these <laughs> 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 he, he has had it y'all he has had it. He has put through it. Dewey and Gail are cute. And their whole, like, evolution from, like, the beginning of this movie to the end of it is, is cute.
0: It's so adorable, especially because we, we are surrounded by these selfish people. We just are. Like, Gail and Cotton. And they're always trying to, like, use Sydney to get their own games. And so it's nice to see Gail has something that's not just about that. Even though I wish we could have given her something that wasn't a man. But you know what? It's the 90s. So I have to take whatever is given to me as scraps. <laughs> and that's what I'm going to
2: do. And At least Dewey is not a Billy or a Mickey. He's this fluffy little dumbass who is just happy that he has a badge and happy that he thinks he's helping. But the very, at least she's not going for some 90s heartthrob trope. And I think that's what makes it adorable is he is such an idiot. Right. And you just sort of want, he makes her happy and you're just like, good, good. Good, awesome,
1: well, and so that leads that leads to my next point of like the the franchise ev- evolution of these three characters. Because in this film, like I said earlier, I think you see some moments where Sydney and Gail specifically make changes. Um, when Sydney has the scene with the director, which I have other issues with this as well. We'll get to, um, but when, he, when, she, when she has to repeat, "I'm a fighter," and then at the end, she you can see that she actually believes it. That's the only part of that scene I like. I uh, think should have just cut it right there. <laughs> They didn't. They made a choice. Um, But, and then, and like I said earlier, which Sheree disagrees with me, I think the death of Hallie is also one of those moments as well. But when Gail says, um, I feel bad. I never feel bad, but I do now. Is a moment that I that we haven't seen from the, from that character before. Now, her being vulnerable and like owning her own choices and the bad shit she's done to uh, exploit some of these relationships. I and mean, then Dewey, I don't. I, it's, that one's a little more unclear for me. He does have a gradual change with his relationship with Gail, I guess, but like he's kind of the one that just kind of stays the same.
0: <laughs> I do feel like. A- As adorable as they are, Gale and Dewey also hinder each other from growth because it becomes about their relationship as opposed to them as individuals in this franchise. I don't know what's going to happen with Scream 5, but I I do track that and I wonder who they would have been had they not gotten real cute in the first one and the second one.
2: Yeah. That would have been interesting. So I I always sort of knew this, but I'm constantly surprised how tame the sex and nudity is in the Scream series because that's not what you expect from slasher movies, like especially the older ones, which are the one Randy is talking about in Scream 1, you know, the obligatory tit shot, blah, 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 where the actress's motivation is you're terrified. And when you're terrified, your top comes off mm-hmm. um, <laughs> sort, of, sort of thing. We don't have that here. And I... I One of the things I wrote down was I'm surprised it hedges its bets so hard when it comes to sex and nudity because the entire crux of everybody's crazy in the the trilogy is that Maureen Prescott liked having sex with people. And if Maureen Prescott had just kept her pants on, none of these deaths would have ever occurred. And it's just like, like, everyone is very obsessed with that. That is a point people hammer home over and over again is almost sex is bad like if you have sex it's not only not only are you going to die but everyone in your hemisphere is going to die with you but when it comes to you know Sydney and Billy having sex in the first one when she takes her bra off Skeet Ulrich is is blocking her so there's no nudity you don't even see a semblance of them having sex you just sort of see the aftermath and then in Scream 2 there's barely anything you know you can clearly see that Heather Graham and the stab movie is naked when she gets in the shower because Jada Pinkett is having none of it, but it, it only shows you the bottom side of the screen where you can see her feet. So it gives you the idea of it, but in terms of slasher movies where nudity and sex in particular are such an expectation of the genre itself there's really nothing in in all four four movies that is that is sexual
0: do we think that's kevin williamson as a writer because dawson's creek was notorious for talking about sex but not having sex or do we think that perhaps wes craven in his like need to make amends with the women in his films also made that choice because i i think we talked about it maybe in first street 101 wes craven started out in porn like as i forget the job titles he had but that's sort of how he put the door in Hollywood and so I feel like perhaps he I'm not absolving him from like the boobs of Nightmare on Elm Street or anything else but I feel like perhaps he flashed those boobs because that's part of the formula but like later in life like with Scream and with Cursed we saw less that so maybe that was him being like I make my own movies now or maybe it is the Kevin Williamson effect I don't know. Well I
1: think I think the first one specifically was probably more of a Kevin Williamson idea because he had written the script before Wes came on. But it's probably a combination of the two of them. And I really enjoy that it doesn't have as much nudity or, or sex in it, because I feel like horror movies of past that do have a ton of that in it, I feel like they rely on that too much. That there's not, they they sacrifice storytelling to be like, we gotta have a sex scene, or we gotta have Yes. This.
0: I become I think- Michelle Massage every time, so I'm like, stop relying on that body. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a script. Oh yeah,
1: yeah so I mean, as I'm as really enjoyed this one. Didn't do
2: that. Yeah, like if Wes Craven was, was really trying to go against exploitating particularly the women of, this, of the series, which is generally the nudity you're going to get in slasher movies, it makes a whole lot of sense that especially since there's still going to be a slasher chasing after them, that if you're going to excise something from the quote-unquote formula, that is absolutely what it should be. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't need to be getting it on when, when they're being chased with a knife. That makes no damn sense.
0: Right? But, right? But yeah, and
1: I also love that it does talk about the sex, because it doesn't turn it into Like a slasher for kids, you know it. it, It's still very adult and very like they're having very frank conversations about sex. Like in the first one, billy's straight up using the fact that she had had sex with him against her. At the end, he's like, "Well, you me you know, we had sex, so now you're gonna die." So yeah, it it doesn't bring it down. It just it elevates it in my opinion to an even better series.
0: Like it's it's a lot like burlesque because the reason burlesque was fun and new and exciting is because like it was more of a tease. It was more of a fun situation, as opposed to here's tip. Um <laughs> And so, like, I, I I think it might be part of the reason I was drawn to this franchise as a kid is because like how often would I see any horror movie that didn't have a busty blonde flying out of something or getting stabbed on someone? And so it was kind of refreshing to be like, we can just kill people and have fun. Like <laughs> everybody can like not be objectified. Yay!
1: Right. Well, and and this first one was kind of the because this franchise, the late nineties, early two thousands slashers didn't have a ton of nudity in it like I know you did last summer urban legend um even their sequels didn't have a ton of nudity, but it had sexuality without being nude, which I think is a really interesting
2: And you started seeing the lean toward like, I know what you did last summer is a perfect example of male nudity not full-on exploitative nudity, but I mean, Ryan Fellaby walking through that locker room, and I know what you did last summer was an awakening um, and you just, you you have much more of, you know, guys just started looking hot, hotter, or, or 90s hot, if you will where, to the point where they had them take their clothes off, versus you know the 80s nightmare on elm street you know didn't really have any male nudity the only thing you get on friday the 13th is kevin bacon's ass praise so you know but you still got all these shots of of naked girls and then the 90s were just like we can do this with the boys too And you start seeing that trend moving
0: i think it's also in part because there was definitely a shift where people were like but there's other money out there not from cis straight white men so should we get these other people's money too and if we want that maybe they don't want to see busty mcgee maybe they want to see ryan felipe and maybe he could be in a locker room and we were all like yes take that money take that money now
1: probably why scream and that this whole trilogy and then well it's now longer our trilogy but anyways and i know we did last summer we're so successful was because it was getting a new audience that didn't have a a horror film to kind of cling on to it gave the it gave that audience something to kind of enjoy and not have to like oh here Here's a tit shot. Unless I'm gonna get on the phone now, okay? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> no, sadly it, it, exactly yes, because like whenever I'm watching a horror movie and the boobs come out, I'm like, so we have nothing else to say. Thank you for letting me know you're out of ideas.
1: <laughs> to like yeah, can we get back to the killing people? Okay, bye. yeah.
0: We had a job to do. I want to see us finish it. Right. Stab someone. Um, so.
1: <laughs> So, one thing that I want to definitely make sure we discuss, because I think, because we're all theater people, it is a really interesting decision to have Sydney studying theater. Yes. And I, <laughs> and, and, uh, I want to go ahead, because I've already mentioned it, the director telling her to use her trauma is a choice. That it's should, some of that
0: bullshit, though, that we hear, <coughs> Method Actors, Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> that bullshit that we hear.
1: Why are all, I don't know of many method female actors i only know method male actors that i could they think of.
2: exist but they don't talk about it to be like i acted like a dickhead yeah. for my method training to win my best actress oscar they do the damn work yes. <laughs> and then take the hardware and say look at what it did yes
0: <laughs> yes no they're not out here punching extras and being like i was method i'm <laughs> like that's <laughs> That's some white male privilege shit, right. Joaquin. It's different, but also while we're in this, while we're in this theater conversation, because so many thoughts from this. If Sidney Prescott hates the limelight, like literally she just escaped her hometown where her mother was murdered and she was almost murdered, avoids it at all costs, and is going to school to major in theater because she wants to be an actor. Make that make sense.
2: This was very much a we have to have her study theater so that the entire auditorium can attempt to kill. Lori Laurie Metcalf
0: Yes. Because ending, ending up back in the theater was also a choice that I did not buy. I was like, you just wanted to use this stage. That's, that's it. Like, n- there's no motivation to go back here. Like, she doesn't know her boyfriend's there. She doesn't know... Liter- and also the sound system would not be heard from blocks away. As somebody who's worked in technical theater for off and on for a decade, including my degrees, like you can really get it to be heard uh, from over. So you're not going to be all like, playing. she'll know that's her cue. <laughs> that's not how that goes. <laughs> her running to the sound of the music bullshit also all these campus buildings being unlocked in the evenings bullshit what they lock shit up they do even before people started getting murdered they would lock that shit up at a certain time of the night
1: I do think I think that her studying theater has a, a comment on how having trauma or having something negative in your past can lead you to a creative outlet. And I think when she is in theater, as you know, most actors will tell you that escaping yourself, you know, is therapeutic in a way. So I think that's why she's studying theater and, and it gets them to use the auditorium in the end. Yes, for sure.
0: feel like from what we are supposed to take away from Sydney, though, being seen is not her thing. So giving her something else creative to do would have made more sense to me. And I feel like this is another way they felt this character.
2: But they had they had a lot of those bases already covered, which may be why she had to land in theater because you had Randy in the film class. You have Gail, who's clearly the, the writer. This whole thing is just about her being a writer. So unless you wanted to double dip in the medium because I personally think Sydney would start writing about her Trauma, like in my mind, that's where she would have led.
0: Or going but to psychology, like,
2: yeah, something like that. But in but it it felt like theater was the other artistic outlet for her that had not been explored in some way in this movie already.
0: It just felt forced, especially when you have the Greek life and you have the Greek play, and people could comment on the Greekness, and you have like <laughs> the Greek chorus of reporters, and I'm just like, I get it, I get it. You found a theme, you found an aesthetic, and you. <laughs> (laughs) love it and you can love it all you want but also think about your character because I just I don't buy someone who is in survivor mode and who wants to not be seen and wants no attention and they're trying to move on cashing in on her name as an actor in this field if she were to actually graduate and pursue it like she seems to be thinking of doing I feel like she'd want to do something behind the scenes somewhere if it is in this world and as much as I love to see people explore the arts and media maybe she don't need to be in the arts because like psychology She literally had a boyfriend for a serial killer. (laughs) Like, maybe she has questions. Well, Hallie
1: is a psychology major, which is interesting.
0: Um, And so that would have made sense for them to have a friendship because they have classes together because Sydney's into that. But instead, Sydney's running around here being chased by Greek chorus members, stabbing at her, and lives for the limelight every, like, Tuesday through Saturday night on this, like, (laughs) production stage, and then goes back to hiding. And that makes no sense. Either you're hiding or you're not hiding, but you can't do both. It's like being pregnant. Either you are or you're not. You can't be like, I'll be pregnant for certain parts of my semester, but not the rest.
1: i did think it was an interesting choice for them to having having her play cassandra for those of you that don't know who that character is um she's a priestess of apollo and she has all these prophecies but no one will listen to her no one will believe her which and she keeps telling like specifically Derek, on multiple occasions to leave me a, like you're gonna get killed if you stay with me and he's like no i'm not i want to and then <laughs> what happens Yo, know, ask it shot. So that's a really interesting parallel that I think yeah. they brought into that.
0: I appreciated they didn't do a Shakespeare because that is an ongoing battle in America, academia today.
2: You know that was on the list, though, as a possibility.
0: It was. <laughs> it, was. it was. Somebody was like, Tame Man the Shrew, and Wes Craven fired them. And they were like, let's go to a completely different era.
2: <laughs> I also just know that that theater professor in next year's like acting one was just like, do you remember Sidney Prescott, that girl that got Stabbed. I'm the reason she lived.
0: (laughs) I know he's
2: taking full credit for her being a survivor and just be like, I will make sure you survive too. Tell me your trauma. (laughs)
0: I'm going to latch one of my points on to this conversation because, again, lots of thoughts in the theater world. We need to understand that the damage they've done to these light instruments and these set pieces cost more than all of their lives. And so how do you go back from that? How do you be like, oh, so three of you lived, but, like, you shot off (laughs) $80,000 of equipment that we borrowed
1: You don't. You do what Sydney does and you become a hermit. That's
0: <laughs> why she's hiding between NailNet and her school looking for her. She's never going to cover either. And so she's hiding. Um,
1: this is
2: also why I'm Courtney saying. got those bangs. Ooh, she's cutting
0: her hair. She's cutting so she cut her own hair because like, they could find her easier. <laughs> she was like, no. Uh, And so she suffered the most because Sydney wanted to like go cut some ropes and drop some instruments on people and miss. It's Lori Metcalf. How fast is she running? (laughs) Aim better, Sydney.
1: I will say Lori Metcalf in this final scene was real spry.
0: (laughs) I feel like she might have been method acting and just like chugging cappuccino like a reporter would and just applying her own eye makeup. (laughs) And that's why in the end she was where she was. Oh, gosh. I just see her with a venti and her eye pencils, jittery. And they're like, Laurie, don't stab yourself.
1: (laughs) All right. Jerry, do you have another point?
2: Oh my! This doesn't really go in order, so I apologize. But I just like fi- final girls. Um, and the fact that despite my favorite genre being slasher movies, my least favorite part of them are consistently the final girls. Because I love the original Friday the Thirteenth, but mm-hmm. oh dear Jesus, if Alice died, I would have no issue with this. Mrs Voorhees all the way. Um, just watched Hellraiser for the first time this year. Kirstie, get the fuck out of here. You
0: just... he met our friend Nancy. <laughs> (laughs) have have you met our friend nancy (laughs) and it's just
2: like i think i think it's because they have they're just written as stupid most of the time and like so what if you're stupid why do you get to survive because they're making all these horrible choices and their focus is always it always seems like their focus is on escape rather than survival which sounds like it should be the same thing, but is is different. Especially when you're looking at Sydney in this movie at the end of the first one, where she's not thinking, okay, I just need to find whatever window is open and then lock myself in this room and hope that they can't get in, even though we all know they can. She's like, no. I'm gonna wait till they're distracted, go hide in a closet, and then bitch is gonna take an umbrella in the neck. And so the fact that she is given so much depth and so much agency just as, just as a character, she 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 is the only final girl besides Laurie Strode that does not aggravate me. And I think it's because they have written her as a character you want to root for because like I said I am definitely rooting for Mrs. Voorhees in in Friday the 13th I am very much on her side they killed your son do what you do Betsy Palmer but with Sydney you actively want her to survive which is, is different <laughs> in terms of most Final Girls for me
1: I don't love Final Girls pre this film I like yeah. Final Girls post this film because they're given more often than not sometimes it's they're sometimes it's better performed and sometimes there's better writing whatever but often more often than not they are given that agency that they um they weren't given in the 80s and the early 90s and if you go pre this i am with you besides Lori strode which even i in the first movie i have issues with Lori strode because like I, I said this on her episode that she just the first movie is when she finds her dead fr- friends all dead she just walks around Ooh! And I'm just like, girl, come on. We got shit to do. But then later, Comments.
0: i agree i love i definitely give i give laurie a little bit more care because like this suburban baby was never taught to stick up have a backbone or fight for herself so walking down a room full of dead people she would need a minute and i i respect that she would need a minute i wish she could think to have it outside yes but you know what as three survivors of 2020 (laughs) can we blame her for needing a moment right then and there to just sit down and cry for a second and so I give her that. I I see her in the second one when she's like, I have to survive. I have to survive. Do not fucking drug me. And then they drug her. And she's like, I have to like hobble away on drugs because you drugged me and I can't trust you to protect me. I And that's when I feel like that's one of the reasons I like those two side by side is because that is a journey as opposed yeah. to like telling me somebody has to like be tortured and realized to have them be stronger. She's like, no, no, he stabbed me once. He won't do it again. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if
1: you, if you include the second in her art of character I agree I love Laurie Strode but just if you're just looking at that first movie so I, I encourage everyone if you haven't seen it which you I haven't seen mean, Halloween at this point what are you doing in your life? Yeah, but yeah. like if you haven't seen it watch both back to back don't watch one because you'll have a whole different idea of who Laurie Strode is but
2: I also think Sydney, sort of tying back to what we were talking about at the beginning I think Sydney realizes very early on in the franchise that these killers are fallible they are human if she can get an advantage advantage on them, she can take them out. Like, when they're coming for her with a knife, she's going to run, and she's going to evade them, but at some point, she is going to be able to overtake them, and that's really cool to watch.
0: Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. She definitely owns her power and she's definitely gonna argue with them. She's like, you know what, you're gonna try to cut me and my friends anyways. Let me tell you about yourself, mama boy. Um <laughs> and that's that's the Sydney I want. But yeah, I do I do also agree that this is like one of the first times we see a final girl who's like, we need to finish this shit tonight. Give me the gun. Because usually they're like, We knocked him unconscious. Let us turn our backs on him and see what happens. And that always ends so badly. Where Sydney's like double tap. Where's the other one? And I'm like, this is the energy we need, Sydney. This is the energy we need.
1: One of my only real big complaints, or just not complaints, but like points of this movie that I do not like is cotton weary. Number one. Who are you to come in here? Sydney does not owe you anything. She did not put you in jail. She saw someone leave your, her house after she found her dead mother in your jacket. You want to blame somebody, blame Stu and uh Billy, not Sydney, who her mother died. Please and thank you. And then also, I don't like at the end when he gets to be like the hero that comes in and then he gives he blackmails her into like, if you don't go on Diane Sawyer, I'm not going to save you. I like it. Th- Please. <laughs>
0: I can see him having issues with her though, because she never saw him, but she did finger him as a witness and again PTSD is a thing and so I don't want to be like Sydney fucked up but Sydney did kind of mess that up because she was in her own shit and so instead of her being like it was Cotton Weary should have been like it was somebody clarifications I I don't see him being the hero even though I think he was going to save her no matter what because I don't foresee Cotton being a killer even though he's selfish much like Gil which is why those two would be a better duo than perhaps Gil and Dewey because those would have a lot more conversations to be had um <laughs> so as selfish is i don't think he was going to let debbie like just kill sydney he would have intervened but also because he's a selfish asshole he has to be like can you give me this fucking interview and i don't see him as the hero so much as the person sydney can throw the spotlight to because again aside from this major sydney wants no attention she goes out of her way to not get attention and she's like Cotton wants it they're in my face talk to Cotton he's the hero and they have their unspoken nod because he's like this is bullshit and she's like I don't care take them (laughs) (laughs) and she walks off (laughs) and so those are just my thoughts on that but like it's a murky situation because she did she did send him to jail for a year but also his handling of it is not graceful thoughts
2: (laughs) something that gets papered over in this one is like despite the fact that he wasn't the killer he was still Banging her mom, and it's 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 her mom that gets this bad rap for you know having these affairs. And aside from a few mentions in Scream One, people kind of forget that it's just like the the reason she thought it was human is not just the coat, but you you were doing things with her mom. Like she expected you to be there. A lot of people in town were, but not all of them were wearing Cottonweary's clothes. That was Cottonweary in one of the billiard Stews. But like, and and again, the fact that he's not a killer doesn't change the fact that at least the way Liev Schreiber plays him he's creepy as balls just like you know in the grand scheme of things there's nothing there's nothing charming you know there's nothing just sort of sultry sex that like Skeet Ulrich and um, Oliphant bring to mm. it he's just a really sort of creepy dude so I'd probably expect you to have killed my mom too
0: yeah no I I go back and, and did... forth because they don't know what to do with Cotton clearly because they just sort of shoehorn him in and part of that is Gil because Gil is being Gail and doesn't talk to Sydney about an interview. I feel like Sydney probably could have been approached differently to be like, you send him away for a year. He would like to just clear the air and like do it publicly so he can get his life together and get a little bit of money. I feel like Sydney would have been like, I hate attention, but also I feel guilt. So I will do this. But that's not Gail's methods. And so Gail sort of pissed them against each other at the top. Unfortunately, I love her, but she needs to get to that shit. And so of course, whenever she sees Cotton now, she's like, no, fuck you. And Cotton's like, I'm trying to talk to you. And I have a little bit creepy factor and like this is only going to escalate and, until I we get to where we're at <laughs> yeah no
1: but okay so going back to Cotton and like the death of her mother so she is I'm, I'm trying to remember all the facts from the first movie that we brought then they kind of get rehashed in this one too she finds her mother's dead body and then sees someone leaving the home in a jacket that they find the police find in Cotton Weary's car mm-hmm. so she didn't necessarily I mean in the first movie she has but it's been a year and so she's convinced herself that it's got to be cotton weary the jacket the car they're having an affair like yeah it has, so she's convinced herself like i said let's blame instead of like blaming sydney let's blame the people who actually framed you which is billy and Stu. sydney did not frame you sydney saw someone wearing a jacket and said she saw someone wearing a jacket and said yes is that jacket so that's like
0: sworn she said i could have sworn she named him i have to rewatch it again but i'm not gonna pay for it again well, for she, the way. she
1: does in the first movie because she's convinced herself after a year of that from that trial that it's him but in the trial i think she just or the evidence or whatever she just blames she sees the jacket the jacket is placed in his car and it's got her mom's blood on it so like but she also
2: knew that he was carrying on with her mom right so she put two and two together that it yeah if he was, because she, I thought that she saw a person leaving wearing the jacket. Yeah. So since she knew that was Cotton Weary's jacket, knew that he was carrying on with the mom, it had to be
1: him.
0: She filled in the I dots mean, to not deal with the fact that her mother was sleeping with many people and that could have been somebody else.
1: I mean, yeah, we didn't, I, we don't get to see the trial and like what she told police that night. We see what she thought, what she's saying at a year later, which is mm-hmm. kind of hard to tell who blames what. But still, I still say it's more Stu and Billy's fault because they're the ones who actually framed Clearly it. it's
0: more their Fault, but also like she did finger him again. It's like if it's like if I see somebody commit a crime, I'm like that was Trent, and you're like I wasn't even there, bitch. And i are like no, it was Trent. And then like a year later, you get in jail, and you're like we need to talk about that. And I'm like what's done <laughs> is done. I <laughs> I've moved on, and so it's. <laughs> It's a little bit, it's a little bit murky because I, like I said, I don't ever want to come down on our final girls for their PTSD and I think I know things, but she pointed her finger at somebody who she was not hundred percent sure about, which is why not even 40 minutes into the first screen, she's like, you still think Cotton's innocent? Cause she's got down, but she's sending him away. And so like, I I I wish that Gil had not had that decision to just like throw cotton at her on top of this one because we could have like worked through a lot of things faster and maybe gotten a better sense of who the hell Cotton Weary is as opposed to like this random creepy dude who just got a girl and it's like fighting this girl to talk to her
1: even though like she's been yeah. fucked up already. Especially after she got an instant message that said you're going to die tonight and the police can't save you.
0: Right? <laughs> right? I that was-
1: being was- a real asshole.
0: The police are worthless. I'll give both killers that. Um, but I just, I do feel like, I, I do feel like there were better ways of navigating what to do with cotton weary than what they did with cotton weary for these movies.
1: I will agree with that, but with what I'm given, I do not like cotton weary. <laughs> they they know that's 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 why scream
2: three opens the way it does like (laughs) they know they know that nobody really likes cotton weary and they don't know what the hell to do with him so they're just like gtfo bud
0: because we don't even know who he was before he went to jail we know nothing about him other than he was one of the men who was sleeping with maureen prescott (laughs) and he went to jail and he's very selfish and so like those are not enough to like build us a character
2: he apparently wears the same jacket over and over and over again
1: (laughs) right (laughs) and really in this movie he's just used as a red herring because you're supposed to think it's him
0: I didn't buy that. The red herrings did not work as well in this movie because they already came into this world where everybody's guilty and so like going in I was like who could it be? Who could it be? I didn't see it coming down to Debbie even though I did go probably Mickey because he's the hot creepy one this time around (laughs) and I was like sure they're going to give us two killers again they're not going to do that already and then they did and I was like well fuck me and so, so that's how Debbie got away with murder and my young guys. um, but I never because like even the cameraman who kept disappearing and wore the same shoes I'm like it's not you first off you're black so if you you're going to be murdered and, oh you live good for you <laughs> but I just there was never any none of the red herrings worked as well this time around I, I feel like they worked better in the third one sadly because the third one's a wild mess but the red herrings worked better there because they were rewriting it on set which is why all of my theories were right at one point and now they're not and I'm bitter <laughs>
1: we'll get into that next week <laughs> <laughs>
0: so Ooh, it's going to be a time. It's going to be a
2: place. <laughs> and and that topic is capital Lori, capital fucking, capital Metcalf. And just, she makes this movie for me. There's a first shot of Gail where you see her in her red wig just kind of creeping behind her. And you're just like, who was this? Who was this crazy woman? And then she has this overzealous, just sort of, I've read all your books and I've seen all your stuff. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm from the small newspaper and you know, you're supposed to believe I'm just this very over caffeinated. You know, butch haircut kind of lady. And Gail finally is just like, I need you to stop talking and fuck the fuck off, like right now, please. And that's when her eyes first go, oh, oh, we're we're enemies. We're enemies of the pod. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And like, I love the little breadcrumbs they do, because the one thing I noticed in this one is Randy says flat out when they're going through all of their theories, Mrs. Voorhees is a great serial killer. And I was just like, boom. Like, Mm -hmm. there we have it. Because in the final scene, that is absolutely the energy she is bringing is, my son is dead. You had a hand in my son's killing this is why I'm super crazy right now and this is why you're gonna die and like yeah, yeah she's just like the the pause she takes when Sydney badmouths Billy, you're just like what was that was was that a negative disparaging remark about my son and like every diva worshiping gay electrolyte in my body just elevates with that line reading because (laughs) the crazy pauses she takes and the way she's going you're just like oh that button got pushed she's about to lose it and it's wonderful and hashtag justice for debbie salt because I love her. I love everything she's doing. <laughs> no,
0: she, it, yes, it is a great character.
2: I Also, she, this was the first time I picked up because so many of the red herrings we were talking about in Scream 1 are which boy appears post Ghostface, where you're supposed to think of them as the savior when really they were more than likely the one chasing her. And I, I'm sure I've noticed it because I've watched this movie over and over again, but something I had never picked up on is toward the end of the movie when Gail is just losing her shit thinking Cotton is killer because he is the first one she sees. She beelines out of that building and hits a payphone and the person standing there is Debbie Salt. And I had that had never clicked with me before that is just like, oh, it wasn't the first person, but it was indeed the second person that was chasing you around that recording studio.
1: Yeah. Um, her tip-off
0: should have been that Cotton didn't chase her because the killers always chase. Yeah. If they're not running, they didn't do it.
1: She and Laura Metcalf has some great lines that she delivers perfectly. Like uh Jerry, you wrote one down. It's called a makeover. You should try it, Gale. You, know, you look a little tired. It's just like she's got a gun on you and still throwing shade. She's owning you on all the levels. <laughs> Fix them streets, Gail. Fix them. And <laughs> when she walks out, and Cindy's like, skirt. That is the uh, city is the only one that deserves to be shocked by this because, like, she has never she hadn't seen her, she hadn't seen her in ten years or whatever. however long she's been gone for Billy's life, and then she just shows up and she looks a little skinnier and got a different wig on. And, it's like, and the only what?
2: time that Sydney could ever have clocked her was after the Sarah Michelle Geller death, which is the one time that Debbie isn't lurking. She's just like, oh, I got a deadline. I'm gonna peace out now. And it's just like, where where are you going? You have to annoy some people for a bit. <laughs>
0: and now we know. Deadline was calling for. I gotta go kill a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do the hot takes. So the one I'm going to go with, we didn't touch on this one as often as we touched on my when I actually had the hot takes. But (laughs) I would argue that Billy Loomis has a bigger presence in this movie than when he was an actual character on screen in the last movie. He is mentioned in almost every conversation, which is another way of saying, hey, we're not done with Billy yet, but he's dead. Should you think about someone in Billy's life you haven't seen? And of course we didn't. Because all conversations point back to Billy, literally.
2: Right. I agree. agree with that but i i do think that billy and stew were featured heavily enough that they are the aside from maybe scream four which just in case people haven't watched it yet i'll save the name but i think that's bill and billy and Stewart are the ones that pack the most punch in their reveal mm-hmm. because they are the killers that are featured most heavily at least in the original trilogy to where you have some form of investment in them as like the shady boyfriend and his goofy ass best
1: friend and they were the ones that were closest to sydney i mean sydney has no real relationship with debbie salt and uh it seems like mickey is while he is her friend he's on the uh, the outer circle of her friendship circle you know where like hallie and dewey and gail are more closer to her so yeah billy and Stu are definitely the more like what the fuck damn
0: I, I re-watched this for the second time this weekend today because I wanted to be sure about something. The times when they mentioned Billy and Stu, they quickly focus on Billy. So it'll be like, well, when Billy and Stu did it, it was this. But now let's talk about Billy for five minutes. And so it's kind of like, it, it literally is them spoon feeding it to us to be like, think about Billy's circle. Who haven't you seen? And we didn't pick up on that because all conversations, if you make it a drinking game, you won't make it through the first hour. All conversations <laughs> go back to Billy immediately. And when they're not directly talking about Billy and name dropping Billy, it's like, hasn't your boyfriend done this to you before Sydney? And so they're heavily alluding to Billy. So this could have been screen too, Colin, Billy.
1: Colin, <laughs> um, <laughs> <and laughs> oh, Billy, let's talk about it.
0: <laughs> right? No, um, literally, it's all about Billy. Interesting.
1: So my hot take is, so when you talk to people about the best chase scenes, in horror the chase scene uh the ghost face in that recording studio is often overlooked it is i believe for so for me my top two chase scenes is this one and then helen from i know you did last summer epic chase scenes that are both your your heart's pounding you want them you, you're rooting for both of them to survive different endings happen for both of those unfortunately I, yeah, this chase scene is with the the camera angles that Wes does where you can see like Gail is hiding that you see the ghost face on the other side of the, whatever those walls are called, I can't remember. It's just terrifying. And like, and then she gets stuck in the room and she has to watch Dewey obviously die and then be resurrected later on.
0: <laughs> right.
1: And then she's stuck. So I'm assuming the one that's chasing her in that room is Debbie. It has to be, right? Because she sees her when she gets out. But she, yeah, she's stuck. And then she gets out and she sees Cotton and his hands are blood. It's just, it's all terrifying. And I'm here for that chase scene. It is very yeah. effective.
0: I, yeah, that makes me think that like this time the murderers definitely separated to divide and conquer better than they did in the previous one because like definitely Debbie's here focused on Gail Mickey's out there focused on Sydney and the cops and like they kept doing that which is another reason why it worked better to have two killers because you actually like see the work after you watch it and you're like ah <laughs> whereas in the first one you're like I guess Billy made the phone calls and Stu did the work that scans but this one it's like they were both working at all times which is why you couldn't figure out who the fuck was where what <laughs>
2: So my hot take is I would argue that the female killers in this franchise, Debbie Salt and one to be discussed are smarter and more complex than any of the male ones, including Billy and Stu in the entire franchise. Like I think they're the ones that sort of have the James Bond speech about like, here's how I did this and why I did this, but it all makes sense. And it's cleverly plotted because if Sidney Prescott wasn't destined to survive this those are the two that probably would wind up killing her dad well
1: yeah And And I, yeah,
2: I, yeah, I just find them fascinating. And I think sometimes, especially Debbie Salt gets overlooked because she's not quite as obviously like the, the serial killer, like the meme that's going around of Billy and Stu. Those are the ones you remember from the original, but I do think that the two female killers in this franchise are to be stand because they are just deeply fascinating.
0: Their motives are also better. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, Billy definitely came out with the year, mother slept with my daddy and my mommy left me and i was like oh bunny i you just keep that to yourself you were so much more intimidating before i knew you just had some mommy issues that's most of america you're not special
1: i think the only reason for me that billy is is a little bit hot is is my number one and, and uh debbie's my number two is because of how close he is to sydney and how absolutely traumatizing it would be to have like someone that you're a significant other with that you believe, you know, and that you just like lost your virginity to then turns around and tries to kill you. And then and then a year later, his mother comes back and tries to kill you. So it's like <laughs> this whole family is out there. <laughs> so yeah, but I agree. Other than Billy, Debbie Salt is, is my is my second favorite killer of yeah. this franchise. Plus the pantsuits. I mean, you know, you just can't be them. It's a makeover. You should try it. <laughs> That's <laughs> oh, Scream two. There it is. Trey. what we got going on next week?
0: Next week, a surprise, it's Scream three. Oh, <laughs> didn't see that coming, did you? Did you? <laughs> yeah, I had a makeover and lost 60 pounds, and it's coming at you next week with Haley Free.
1: All right. And then of course, as always, make sure you follow us on our social media: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, email us at a nightmare on fearstreet at gmail.com. Make sure you subscribe on all of your favorite platforms and then rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's really helpful for people to be able to find us through that platform. All right. Uh, Thank you so much, Jerry, for joining us on this journey. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful.
0: Yay. Yay.
1: All right. And thanks everyone out there for listening. Make sure you stay fierce out there.
0: Bye.